Awesome. Thank you, Mark. It's uh, a wonderful, wonderful privilege to be with you this morning. I do appreciate your kind words. I'd like to meet that guy you're talking about one day, but uh, I do appreciate the opportunity and also just the friendship. Um, as Mark said, we, I'm sorry my accent's a bit weird. I have to say this wherever I go because wherever I go it's weird. But I'm an American. I live here in this great city and in this great nation of the United States. I'm proud to be an American. I was born in Africa, raised in Australia, and I am living in this great land. And I'm blessed to be here. But when we moved across here from Australia, Nicole and I and my three sons, also in, uh, to plant a church in 2010, we moved across in January 2010. We planted in uh, Westminster. And as Mark said, we connected. One of the things God said to me when I moved here was, do you want to go to Denver and be a part of what I'm doing? I love that call. It wasn't, do you want to go to Denver and do your thing? It was, do you want to go to Denver and connect with what I'm doing in, in, the, in, in Denver? And I said, yes, Lord, count me in. So we handed the church over that we were leading in Australia, and we relocated, knowing no one here in, in uh, Denver, never been here before. We had lived in, Cal- in California before, but never Denver. I don't even think we visited it, and God said, go. And uh, one of the things he did say to me was he's going to connect us to some key guys, and we connected, as Mark said. And so we want to say also from our side, just echo the same reality of the friendship, the partnership. We love you guys dearly. We're glad that we can help you. You've helped us, and you continue. Even this morning, just while I was here worshiping and singing, just thanking God for the opportunity, the friendship that we have. Uh, it's mutual, and uh, I mean that sincerely. You've been an inspiration to us. You're an incredible couple, family. This is an incredible church. Been through many things in your 10 years or so. Uh, but you're standing strong because this is not a good thing. This is a God thing. And honestly, that's the reason I'm here. I wouldn't come to this and invest in something I believe is just a man thing. How many of you know it might even be good, but if it's a man thing, it doesn't have a future. But I honestly believe it's a God thing. And we've walked this journey together. And I know we'll continue to do that. And I, I don't take lightly the opportunity to preach and to share in the midst of you guys this morning. So thank you, Mark and Kara, uh, for the opportunity and the privilege of friendship. And thank you for partnering with us and opening your hearts to us, us weird people with one, funny accents, probably with some pretty radical ideas of what we believe, and you've bought in with us because we hope and believe it's in the Bible. And that's what I want to say to you this morning. If I bring anything that's not in the Bible, please don't hear me. Close your ears and don't do what I say. But if it's in the Bible, well... Good news is then we don't really have an option. It's not what I say, it's what God says. And how many of you know we need to hear what God says? Because there's so many voices, so many good ideas. I love this nation for many reasons. And one of them is we have such great opinions and ideas in this nation. And I I don't believe God's against those as long as they don't set themselves up against who God is. And that's why in these times it's good just to come back to Scripture and to hear what it is that God has for us. So thank you for the opportunity. If you've got a Bible... We quickly turn in it to Hebrews, the first chapter, Hebrews chapter 1. And I'm delighted to hear Mark said he was praying for the big picture to come. And I want to tell you this morning, it is God's desire for us to keep looking up and out. Uh, as I've traveled and I was thinking back last week, I was preaching in New Zealand, Auckland, New Zealand, the week before in Nelson, New Zealand. The week before that, I was in Adelaide, Australia. Before that, I was in Phoenix, Arizona. And then the weekend before that, Chicago. Next week, I'll be in one of the churches here and then in Paris. The point I'm making is that I've traveled, I've traveled a lot this year and as I've been in different places, just by observation and not even by revelation, what I've realized is that the devil has a desire to destroy us. 
In actual fact, the Bible shows us and tells us that the devil's desire is to destroy us. But what I've realized, he hasn't been given the power to destroy us. He's been given the power to distract us. And the way I believe the devil destroys us is he distracts us. And he gets you and I as individuals, also us as the church, busy with good things. Giving our attention and our affection and our lives because we want to count for something. And so we're investing our lives. And at times, we become distracted. Not because our hearts are wrong, just because we've got opposition. And we get busy with the wrong thing. And, and I feel like the, the desire of God is just to bring us back to the simplicity and the understanding that we're not here to do our thing and hope God's in it. We're here to simply do what it is God's called us to do. And then we know that God is in that. There is a band, and if you haven't heard of this band, I need to pray for you. It's called U2. Anyone heard of U2? It's a great band, and some young people need to catch that understanding of how awesome that band is. Anyway, I hope I haven't lost you with that truth, but it's a great band, and uh, it's been around from the 70s and 80s. In the 80s, we used to love U2, and even now, I still love U2, I, I confess. Uh, and the lead singer, a guy named Bono, they call him. And I, I'm not saying he's a believer. I'm not saying he's a Christian. This, I will say, is a seeker of the Lord and truth. And many years back, when George W. Bush was still our president, he was invited, uh, this lead singer, Bono, this rock star, was invited to come and address all the heads of faith, all the heads of state around this nation uh, at a national day of prayer. And he said, he, if you can go and Google it and listen to it, it's a 21-minute kind of speech he gives. And I'm not endorsing it. It seems like he's very new age. He's seeking. But he, he made some statements. And one of the things he did was he was, he was shocked that he was invited to speak to faith-based believers in, in this nation. Uh, but what he stood up, and basically the, the context of his, speak, of his speech was this. He, he said, and I love this, he said, You, the church, needs to stop doing your thing and asking God to bless it. He said, instead, you, the church need to find out what God is doing and get on board with what God is doing because what God is doing is already blessed by God. And it takes someone of a rock star to come back to remind the church of its understanding that, my dear friends, while God wants to bless us and while God wants to use us, the question we've got to keep asking ourselves is, are we on His side, not is He on our side? We've got to make sure that what we're giving our attention to, what our lives are about is what He intended, not we hope we're doing our good thing and God's in it. I, um, I, 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 it changes the question, because many people ask this question, and I'm sure we have in this room this morning, what is God's will for my life? Put your hand up if you've asked that question. I mean, of course. And let me just tell you, your heart's good, but it's the wrong question. Because what we're saying is pretty much, what is God's will for my life? In other words, how does God fit into my life? I want to be bold enough to suggest the question should be flipped upside down and ask this, what is God's will and how does my life fit into that? How do I take my life and fit into the plan and the purpose of God rather than how does God fit into what I'm doing? Now that's true for individuals and for our lives. Well, I want to suggest it should be the same for the church. Most pastors, because their hearts are, I believe, good and trying to serve God's plan, and they keep asking this question. Leaders, I, I lead it myself, asking God, what is your will for our church? What is on your heart? What should we be giving our attention to? And that's the wrong question. It should be, what is God's will 
And how does our fit, our church, Impact Rock, fit into the will of God? It makes it bigger. It gives us the big picture. And again, if we're in what God's doing, it's already blessed by God. We don't have to ask God to bless what we're doing. Are, are you with me, friends? There's a challenging scripture, and I just want to stay here for a moment. And I've shared this, and maybe 47 years took me to learn this. And I've grown up in the church, been privileged to be born into this. I know nothing else. I was born in Africa. My dad was a missionary. I've only known church and life and ministry. I don't know anything else. And so it's taken me 47 years to to learn some things. I'm slow to learn, perhaps. Maybe you are this morning too. And there's a scripture in Joshua chapter 5. Just we won't read it because I want to get to this. But but in Joshua chapter 5, it's an incredible text where where Joshua is leading God's people. And now they've crossed the Jordan and they're into the promised land. Now the promises are being fulfilled. What God said is theirs. And he's standing there and he's about to take one of the, the most fortified city in the Bible. The, 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 the city of Jericho. The Bible says there's no way into Jericho and there's no way out of Jericho. You know the story. And I've preached on taking Jericho so many times, but I always started in chapter 6. But something happens in chapter 5 that I, I, I sometimes forget. And in chapter 5, uh, Joshua's out there by himself and, and he's scouting out perhaps the land and he's having a look and, and he's thinking, how are we going to do this? And his army's over there and he's looking to the city and, and he sees a man with a drawn sword. Now, now, a man with a drawn sword is a man there to fight. Battle lines have been drawn. And so, so Joshua goes up to this man and, and he asks the simple but interesting question that most of us would ask. And he says to him, are you for us? Because he didn't recognize this man and he'd never seen him before. And this man standing with a drawn sword. I mean, interesting dynamics right there. And he goes up to him and says, Sir, are you for us? Or are you for our enemies? In other words, am I going to fight you or are you going to help us fight? And, and I love the response. It floors me. This man standing with a, a drawn sword looks at him and he says, Neither. I mean, it sounds like a politician with all due respect, but we won't get into politics. I'm not on your side and I'm not on their side. Now, now that's a strange comment. You, what are you doing here if you're not on our side or their side? What, who are you? And he says, I've come down as the commander of the Lord's army. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm not here to choose sides. I'm here to take over. I'm not here to back you or them. With all due respect, you are on my side. I'm not on your side. God's not on our side. The question is, are we on God's side? I've been challenged because suddenly it's back to what's your will and how do we fit in and what's your battle and how do we fit in and while we still fight and we still battle and here's what Joshua said he said well what's the command that you bring you know what the command was to take a city take off your shoes you're standing on holy ground get on your knees and worship me you want a strategy? You want to live in the bigness? You want to make sure we're still staying in the plan of God, serving the will of God? Well, we need to understand this thing that we give our lives to, it's not a good idea, a man's idea, your idea, our history's idea. It's his idea. And when it's his idea, it's sacred. And when it's sacred, it gives significance to everything we do. That's why this church matters, because this is a sacred thing, not a good idea. 
And when we make it ours, then we begin to change it up and we don't like that. That doesn't seem to work. So let's change that. That's not working. We read the books of what works in other cities and we begin to implement at the expense of what the command is. What is your will and how do we fit in, Lord? I understand the challenge, friends. I've led churches. We planted. We continue. We lead church nations, thousands of churches in partnership, and we get the, our challenges. But this, I want to say, this is sacred, and we need to get on our knees. And that man that was right, that had that sword was not an angel because he worshipped, and you don't worship angels. That was Jesus Christ Himself standing there, and and. and, and uh, Joshua got to his knees and worshipped Jesus. And that's where the strategy came to take the city. We're not asking God to be on our side. The question still is, are we still on His side? See, we get to partner with God. That's basically what this means. Somebody said, if you're partnering with God, your plans better be large. Why? Because God doesn't think small. He's not small. He's big. And He wants us to understand the bigness of what He's called to. And when we understand partnering with God and doing His thing, then we have to understand we'll never have enough, but there's always enough. This isn't cliche, friends. This is fact. If you read some of the texts, and it's interesting, I'm getting lost here. Let's just get onto the scripture here because I'm taking way too long. This is what happens when I come in every few years. But anyway. We can choose whether we live by vision or whether we live by provision. And I want to say, if we're living by provision, we'll never have enough and we'll limit what God's called us to. But we've got to live by vision and allow vision to determine our provision. And that's right through Scripture. Feeding of the 5,000, you heard that story, I'm sure. Do you know it's the only story that features in all four Gospels? That's the only miracle other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only other miracle in Scripture, in all four Gospels, is the feeding of the 5,000. Isn't that amazing? How many of you know that's not by chance or by mistake or just haphazardly? God had a purpose for that. And I believe the reason that that is in all four Gospels is because it depicts life itself. 5,000 men plus women and children were standing before Jesus. They were hungry and Jesus said, let's find out what we have. He went around, they came back, they said, we've got five loaves and two fish. Jesus didn't say it's not enough. He didn't say it's not going to cut it. He didn't say it's not going to work. He didn't say, God, you better multiply this. He took what they had, looked up and thanked God for what they had. And as he thanked God, God multiplied as they took it and used it for what God intended. But the point is that what lies before us is going to always be bigger than what we have in our pockets. And God wants it like that. So we're either motivated by provision or vision. And I've got to say, if we're going to serve the plans and purposes of God and stay in His will, we can't allow what we have to determine what God's called us to. We've got to allow the vision of God to motivate us as God's people. And God will provide if we use what He's given us for what He's called us to do. That's the testimony of this church for 10 years. And I want to suggest it's the next 50 to 100 years testimony of this church if you allow the, vi- the vision to motivate you and keep you going rather than the provision what we have. Hebrews chapter 1. These sound like interest, like big words, but they're not. But this is the key to this whole message this morning. Our Christology determines our missiology. 
and our missiology determines our ecclesiology. Isn't that impressive? A couple of you scholars would know what that means. Well, let me just bring it down to our level, mine too. Our revelation of Christ will determine our mission here on earth. And our mission determines the church. And I want to suggest in our busyness and in our Christianity today, somehow in being distracted, this thing we've got back to front. And so what we've actually got is we have the church and it's all about the church and the church is awesome and yes it is, but we've made it about the church. Then we've realized we need to get the church doing something to keep the church busy. So then we find a mission and we throw our attention into the mission and then we come to meetings and be reminded Jesus is, is kind of part of this thing so let's focus ourselves on Jesus. It's back to front. Our revelation of Jesus determines our mission and our mission determines this church. And God wants it like that. So At the end of the day, how we see Christ, how we view Jesus, determines everything about who we are and what we'll be and how we're going to make it into the future God has for us. That's why this revelation of Jesus, I love that song we sang, You owe me nothing, Jesus. I'm caught up in your presence. What a great song. It is about Jesus. I'm sorry that it's made my agenda. The church, friends, me too, need to get to that place of we're sorry we've made it about stuff at the expense of revelation of you. But when we catch your revelation, then we are motivated into mission. And then the mission will make this church serve the plans and purposes of God. Can't separate them. But we've got to get them focused back on Jesus Christ. Are you okay? Very quiet. Un-American. But anyway. Sounds like I'm in New Zealand right now. Anyway, Hebrews chapter 1. Let's read it. Verse 1. It says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Some versions say, directly through His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. The Son, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Who perfectly, other other versions say, He perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature, sustaining all things by His powerful word. And after He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Or or some versions say, He took His honored place high in the heavens, right alongside God. You see, there are some who believe that Jesus is a mini-God. Or Jesus is a wannabe God. Or Jesus one day might be God. But friends, if we see Christ like that, our revelation is diminished and devalued and our mission has no roots, no foundation, no real meaning. Therefore, our ecclesiology, the church, becomes haphazard about their own thing at the expense of understanding who Jesus Christ is. See, there's conclusiveness about what we've just read. He sat down at the right hand. He's not mini-God. He's not wannabe God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. He perfectly mirrors God. God was pleased to have His fullness dwell in Jesus. If He carries the nature of God, He is God. And in a sense, He sat down at the majesty, the right hand of the majesty. There's conclusiveness about that. That means... He is who He says He is. He's confirmed He is who He says He is. How many of you need to know that? 
I mean, so many people claiming to be so many things today in our great nation. Well, Jesus proved He is who He is by sitting where He's seated. No one else is seated where He is. And that confirms and gives us courage this morning to keep on focusing on Jesus Christ for our personal lives, but also for our mission and for this church to stay the course and to shine brighter when the days are getting darker. He is who He says He is. It also means completion. Guess what? His work is finished. I I love that to sit at the Father's side declares His earthly mission is both complete and successful. It also means He's conquered the enemy. He's overcome His enemies. I love this picture. While Jesus sits, the devil roams. (laughs) To and fro, trying to foil the plans of God. But Jesus is so comfortable in His finished work, so understanding the success of what He's done. He's not caught off God. He's not roaming in heaven wondering what the devil's up to. He's seated because His job is done. And He's done it, my friends. And that's not to make us feel good this morning. That's the revelation we, the church, need to live with day in, day out, regardless of what comes our way, personally and as a local church. We have no future if we lose this revelation. If we allow our culture, or the nation, or our politics, or the church, or even our upbringing, or our history, or our circumstances, diminish the revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus is confident in His victory, while Satan works furiously in vain attempt to oppose or prevent God's eternal plans. It also says He's crowned. He's all above all powers. It's not inactivity. He's ruling. When He's seated, He's ruling. And I love that. He's not coming back as the lamb to the slaughter. He's coming back as the triumphant king. He's coming back as the righteous uh, judge. And He's coming back as a loving bridegroom according to the book of Revelation. The first time Jesus came, many people, including His own people, rejected Him. The next time He comes, He's not coming back as the Lamb to the slaughter. And I I praise the Lord for being the Lamb to the slaughter, because without the Lamb going to be slaughtered, we'd have no salvation. However, He's done the Lamb to the slaughter thing, and when Jesus comes back, He's not coming back as a Lamb being led to the slaughter. He's coming back as the righteous King, as the triumphant King, and as the bridegroom coming for His bride. And every person will know this time when He comes. They might not be ready, but everyone will know. That's got to give us courage this morning. We can't allow our view of Christ to be diminished and become distracted because God wants the church to understand who Christ is. Therefore, our Christology determines our missiology. And our missiology determines our ecclesiology, who we are. We've got to stick to God's plan if we want to walk in God's purposes. Think about how profound that is. We've got to stick to His plan. We've got to keep asking, how do we as a church and individuals fit into what God's doing rather than how does God fit into what we do? And for that to happen, and maybe you've heard me share this, but I make no apologies. The church today, I believe God wants to remind the church of some things. And so I want to just share some of these things of understanding our context. You see, we often want to see how God sees it. I mean, we want to... We want it always viewed through our eyes. This morning, I'm asking us to view ourselves and our mission through the eyes of God. And this is not it only, because there's a whole lot more than this. But let me tell you how God sees it. Number one, please. Thank you, John. Uh, John. 
John. My man John. Look at John. He's here to help me this morning. Let's give a hand to John for his help. Let's put it here, please. So I, I want to just, I mean, guys, the problem is this. Every one of these points is like a whole series, and the problem is we don't have time. That's my problem, not yours. So I want to just tell you quickly some thoughts around this, and I, I'm challenging you. I dare you. Americans like a dare, so let me dare you. If you like a challenge, I challenge you to go read the Bible and go through this truth and see if it's in there. Not, not in some pages, right through Scripture. This is something of God's plan. And then if we catch it, let's contend for this. But I want to tell you, God looks at us and He sees something called our lives. And there's a lot of people who make it all about this. And I want to say we are important. We're going to, we're going to have a few moments around this, but then we're going to move to some other things, other truths. But I, I, I'm going to try and show us that God looks at our lives and cares about every individual on this planet. I, I know it's hard to believe that. I know some of you, I, I guarantee that some in this room struggle to believe that you matter to God. Because that's the devil's strategy. And if you don't catch your understanding and my understanding of how God loves us, it's very hard to love others if you feel unloved. Very hard to give something you haven't got. And I want to just tell you this morning, I don't know how to explain it. I'm not God, but God wants you and I, the church, to hear this. Your life matters. It doesn't matter how you got here. I mean, we care about our upbringing. We care about our parents. Some of you might not even know your parents. don't know your father, don't know your mother. And that's horrific. I can't imagine that because I've been incredibly privileged to have parents that I love, that I know, and are good parents. My dad's actually my best friend, other than my spouse, obviously my wife. But, but, but I know my parents, and so I've been blessed. To, but some don't even know if who their dad is. Some don't even know. And maybe you've been told all your life you're a mistake, and you're an idiot. And I, I'm, I'm not here to say anything except that you matter to God. I believe that if you or me were the only, I honestly believe this by revelation from Scripture, that if I was the only person on this planet, Jesus would have come just for me. And I'm no different to anyone else in this room or in this pla- on this planet, all 7 billion people. Pete, God cares about our lives. He cares about individuals. He cares about detail. He's involved in the detail. And you matter to God. And if you had time, I haven't got time this morning, go read Psalm 139, verse 13 to 16, where David said, Lord, you know, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You knit me. It wasn't just for David, it's for all of us. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully... There's some fearfully made people in this room. Anyway, that's the Lord's business, and He had fun making some of us. He says, you knit me together... I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And then He says, all the days ordained for me were written in a book before one of them came to being. What does that mean? That means that He laid out a whole destiny for every one of us. Before we were even made, He created us, He put us together in our mother's womb, He he had fun making us, and we're not a mistake. I don't know how to explain that, but you're not. And those people out there that you despise, they're not mistakes. They're valuable to Jesus. And you matter. And for a minute, I'm going to tell you, it's about you, it's all about you. been made with dignity. You've been made with delight. You, you've been made with destiny. God's ordained things for us, friends. 
that we so short circuit because we get so, nobody likes me and I'm so invaluable. You matter and we matter and God cares and Jesus would have come just for you. And you've got to get that in your head and move it to your heart otherwise you'll never be able to live in the plans of God. You're not a mistake. Even if your parents didn't want you, God wants you. Can I say, even if you're created in an act of rape, forgive me for being so vulgar, you matter to God. And we've got to break this thing. Because the devil wants to say, you don't matter. And when you don't matter, it's very hard to serve God in His plan and purpose. You were made with dignity and destiny. All the days ordained for you and I were written before one of them's come out. That gives me hope for my future. Are you there? You matter. It's all about you. You're gonna, if you're not going to aim in this, you're not going to aim in anything else. Because I'm telling you it's all about you. You're awesome. Regardless of what people say. You are awesome. You've been made in the image of God. God made you. Created you. Had fun made having you. And now He's destined you to fulfill. And let me tell you what I love. Is that... Uh, um, um, what's his name? Let me make sure I get this right. Uh, Winston Churchill. You know what he said this? We make a living by what we get. But we make a life by what we give. We've been made for destiny, duty, purpose. God put us here with duty, not obligation. Duty. Every individual to understand to serve God's plan and His purpose. Isn't that awesome? You are awesome. It's all about you. But now I'm going to tell you, it's not all about you. Next point, please, John. I'm not contradicting. I'm just saying this is one of many. And most people want to make this all about us. And it is about us, but it's also about something else. When God looks at our lives, thanks, John. He sees our lives in the context of the local church. Are you there? Ah, here we go. Yeah. Where? In the Bible. You see, you note that I didn't just say church. Because everybody is, yes, we're the church and we're saved out of and now we are the church and we're no longer of the world and we're and we ecclesia, ecclesia, the ecclesiology. We've been called out. So everybody who saves called out. Yes, but God also sees your life as valuable in connected to a local church, not the church worldwide where you don't have to go to it. I wish it was like that, to be honest. And I could not have to connect with people. How awesome would that be? Let's be honest. I mean, I, me and God, doesn't that sound awesome? No, it's not God's way. God sees my life in the context of a local church. It's in the book of Acts. They were saved out of the, and they were saved into from the next day they were part of and they connected. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just telling you, if you want to understand how God sees it, this is how. And it's not to grow the church, it's to understand you're not going to find your value if you're not connected into a family. There's no scripture that can back being connected to the body, uh, to the head and having nothing to do with his body. Every sheep needs a pen. Every tree needs to be planted. Every brick needs a wall for you Pink Floyd fans. If you don't know who that is, that's fine. Probably good. Every gangster, any gangsters here? No? Okay. Every priest needs a hood. I'm not just, it's, it's biblical. 
So God doesn't just see you as valuable on your own doing your thing. He sees you in the context of this, a local church. So with, can I say this, Mark, and Karen, forgive me. If it's not here, it better be somewhere. But don't float around thinking you're connected because you're church hopping. And I'm not having to go find where God has you. Get connected where God has you. And here's what I want to say where God has you. It's not always going to be the place you like. Why? He didn't say find a place you like. The reason we don't like where we find the place is because there's people there. Different to us. You're very, you're not going to find another place that exists that you like if it's not just you and the Lord. And even at times I don't like myself, so even that's hard. I'm being honest. It's a, America, we have people hopping from church to church, and I understand it. Oh, I just want to find out where I fit. No, no, you've got to find out where God wants you, and where God wants you, guess what? You fit. He makes you fit. There's no church that exists where you fit and feel like this is really home. And there are people who came here this morning and said, this feels like home, and that's great, but this isn't going to feel like home forever. Why? Because people irk us, irritate us. People think differently. They preach stuff we don't like. They offend us, and it's part of growing up. It's part of putting us in a family. It's part of being committed somewhere. God wants commitment, friends. It's for our good, not for the church's good. Yeah, you're right. Local church can't be connected to Jesus and separated from His body. You can't. Psalm 92.12 The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. Guess what it says? They will flourish in the courts of God. And I love this. Verse 14 it says, They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Why? Because they planted in the house of the Lord. I don't know much about trees and shrubs and bushes, but I do know this. If you keep uprooting a a tree or a shrub or bush, it doesn't grow. Somewhere it's got to be planted and left to grow. I'm just telling us, guys, we've got to get planted and we've got to find where God has us. And it's a local church. And if it's this church, get involved. Not to back them, to see the plans and purposes of God being fulfilled. I mean, I, I'm just going to shoot from the hip here. We don't like commitment, Americans. We're independent. Independence Day is our big celebration. We broke free from England. We are free. We want democracy. We all want to say, and I love that about this nation. When I was sworn in in 2007 as a U.S. citizen, you are now an American. You have to speak. And you have a say, and you better have your say, and you have a vote. I mean, the freedom and speak up and speak up and have a say. What a democracy. Awesome. No other country has the freedom we have. The stuff we say about our president and our government, I'm telling you, friends, you try that in any other democracy, you get imprisoned. Whether it's good or bad, this is somewhat of freedom. You can say whatever you want. I know it's coming, getting harder, but I cannot tell you what a freedom that is. But the kingdom is not about us having a democracy. It's about being knitted into the house of God. Being interdependent on others. Learning to live with those who are not like us. One of the most challenging scriptures for me is Isaiah 41 and 42, where it says, The poor and the needy search for water, but I, a God of Israel, will not forsake them. And then he says this. He says, I'll put in, in, the, in the desert cedar and acacia and the myrtle and the olive. I'll put all these trees and shrubs in the desert that don't belong in the desert and they also don't belong together. Are you there? I'm going to put things, bushes and trees that don't belong, number one, in the desert and don't belong together, but I'm going to put them in the desert together. Why? 
so people may see and understand and consider it's the hand of the Lord that has done this. In other words, I'm going to take what doesn't fit and I'm going to make them fit. I'm going to take those who feel they don't belong and I'm going to make them belong. And the prickly bushes and the thorn bushes, they're all going to coexist together in my house. But I'm going to do that so people may know it's the hand of the Lord that's done this. So Impact Rock Church, with all due respect, if this is where God has you, you fit. So get connected. And learn to love the bushes and shrubs and the thorn bushes around you. Because together God sees you connected in His house. And it's not an optional extra for real Christians. It's for God's people. And if you've been hurt by church, I'm sorry. You're going to get hurt more by church because your faith should not be in church. should be in Jesus. But you best get connected to the house of God in a local church because God does not see you in another way. Who do you think you are? One trying to live this. I don't lead the church I planted. Do you know how hard that is? We planted this church down the road, and now we're still based in it. We've handed over the leadership, and I have to attend that church and be part of it until God moves me on. And it ain't easy. The baby you birthed, you now have to sit and watch some other person raise it up and make all the mistakes. That's a joke. <laughs> Sorry, if you're listening, TK, I'm joking. But it matters what this church is like. Are you with me? And there are many pictures of the church, friends. I'm just throwing some truth out. I hope you go read this. Don't get caught up in the one picture of the church that you like. I have to say that to us this morning. I guarantee that many of us love the picture of the family. Who loves the family? It says in the scriptures that God puts the lonely in families. And so most of us are looking for family. You might even have family. But this is your family. And that's a great picture, but it's not the only picture. So if you're family only, you're missing a whole lot of other what God wants the local church to be. It's also the body. So that's where some of us who like to work get excited. Yeah, I want to be the body. I'm the hands and the feet. We get to do stuff. Yes, we're the family and the body. Not either or, both. Oh, and then we get to be the bride, which is interesting for us men, let's be honest. But anyway, we are the bride of Christ. And can I say, forgive me, I know this isn't PC right now, forgive me. If you focus only on the bride, you become feminists at the expense of all the other things God's called us to we are the bride. And Jesus is coming back for me as a man too, as His bride. And I'm trying to work out how that all looks and I'm delighted because I'm passionate about Christ. But we're not just the bride. you know what else we are? The army. And I, I think we need some army boots back on our wedding dress. Honestly, the church loves to be the bride and me and Jesus, and we're awesome and I love you and He loves me. Yes, but we're the army of God. Put your boots on. Let's take some ground in this season. He wants us to be the army and the pillar and foundation of truth and all the other pictures. And all I want to say is it's under God for us to be all those pictures, not just our favorite. That's how He sees your local life in your local church. And this church is part of that thing. Get involved if you're not involved. The last thing I want to say about that quickly is we need to stop treating His bride like a high school girlfriend. Using her for what I can get. This is not our bride. This is His. Don't use the church for your ministry. Get involved as the church and recognize it's His bride belonging to Him. All of us, including the pastors and leaders, belong to Him. He's coming back for us. Is that okay, Mark? I know it's a, probably offensive. I'm not trying to offend us. It's just 
we're going to get offended by truth. I'm offended by everything I've said this morning. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Jonathan. All right. That's great. So, uh, this is the American dream right here. This is the American dream. My life in local church. Yes, preacher, brother. Oh, hang on. This guarantees us getting our eyes off ourselves. Thank you, Jonathan. See, God looks at the local church in the context of the Great Commission. Have you heard about that? Have you heard about the Great Commission? Well, if you haven't, then you haven't read Jesus' command to His disciples before He left this planet. The last words Jesus gave to His disciples was this, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. Now go and make disciples, followers of Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey and I will be with you till the end. In other words, go do what I've called you to and I'm with you. This is not an optional extra and send people to Africa in in summer and raise money and funds to send people to go and build orphanages. Nothing wrong with that, but this is a whole lot more than that. This is every day. This is all day. Is followers of Jesus making followers of Jesus. So what this forces us to do is get the local church's eyes off ourselves actually to the commission God's given us here on the planet. The good news for all of us, we're all in. We all need it. It's not for the preachers. and the, It's for all God's people. All of us who know Jesus should be making Him known and followers of Jesus making followers of Jesus. Do you see this, friends? It's getting our eyes off ourselves. It's getting our eyes off our local church. It's getting the local church focused on the Great Commission. And David Livingston, and we were chatting earlier about David Livingston. Let me tell you about David Livingston. He said this, How can it be that a, to be commissioned by a earthly king is an honor but to be commissioned by a heavenly king is a sacrifice you see we make this great commission not that great maybe we call it a sacrificial commission in other words we have to do stuff I want to suggest we've got to stop seeing it as a sacrifice and see what a privilege is the God of heaven commissions you and I in this room to be on mission with Him. So this is where most churches go quiet. Yes, I'm awesome. Yes, the local church. This, the dream. Whoop. This is the next understanding. We can't be focused on ourselves. We can't be about our ministries and our thing. We've got to be about reaching people around us. You Okay? Great Commission is there. Can't do away with it. It's the last words Jesus spoke to his disciples. I mean, I'm a parent of three sons. I want to tell you, if I knew I was leaving and not going to see them again, my last words to them would probably be some of the most important words I leave in. Not optional. This is what I'm going to give you to do. I'm leaving. I've done it all. Now you go and do this. This is what I'm giving you. This great commission. Go fulfill what I'm leaving you here to do while I go in heaven now. And I'm going to cry out on your behalf intercede for your success is what Jesus is doing now. It's okay, Mark. It's in the Bible. Honestly, guys, the church has lost her way because the church has made her the focus of it all. America is in dire straits and God has a plan. It's not for America. It's for the church in America to step in and step up and be the church and reference and show people what Jesus is like in our nation and in the nations of the world. And I've been benefited from this nation. I've lived in Africa and Australia. And let me tell you, this nation sending missionaries to the other nations, we've been blessed by this nation. We're blessed in our being and ministering. But it's not 
the history of America. It's the future of the church in America to understand. Even Impact Rock, all the way here in Erie, God wants this church to touch the nations of the world and to touch this region and this nation. Us in this room, doesn't matter how big you are, God's plan, Great Commission. See, when any church loses their spirit of the Great Commission, I believe, forgive me for saying this, it surrenders the very reason for its existence. Good, we're moving on. Thank you. You okay? Nearly done. All right, Great Commission. All right, Tyron, what's that all about? Well, here, maybe we can put it here if that's okay. The Gospel. Do you see that? The Gospel. Can I move this? It's okay? It's not the anointing leaving, is it? <laughs> Sorry, bad joke. Here. The Great Commission is in the context of the Gospel. Have you heard about the Gospel? I hope you have, otherwise salvation is not yours. It's the Gospel. It's the good news. Paul said, I'm not ashamed. Romans chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation. How many of you believe it's still the power of God for salvation? It still will save. You see, we're privileged to work in over a hundred countries right now and not just have friendship where we're planting churches and working and preaching the gospel. And here's what I want to tell you. This gospel I'm preaching today, you preaching today, is winning people under trees in Africa, under the Eiffel Tower in Paris, literally in India, in Asia, in Australia, in New Zealand. Wherever this gospel is preached, it's saving people. It still has the power to save globally. And may I be bold enough to say, it still has the power to save in the United States of America. With all our cleverness and all our millennials and all the nonsense we keep saying, no, they can't reach these people. It's the power of God for salvation today. Saved you, right? Let me tell you, if it saved me, I'm telling you, this can save anyone. I was wretched sinner, sinner, worst of sin, honestly. And this gospel, the good news of the finished work of Jesus, saved me and rescued me. And I'm telling you, because of this message, I believe it can save all mankind. To which I've given my life, my wife, my family, for this gospel. Are you there? It's not my job, it's us. God sees a great commission in the context of the gospel. Just very quickly, two things I want to say about the gospel. Number one, it needs to be told to the world. It ain't good news if it doesn't get to them in time. So it's got to be told to the world. It doesn't have to be made more sexy, more attractive for the world today. It's just good enough presented as it is because it's the power of God for salvation. Doesn't need to be made sexy and put a little skinny dress on here and a, honestly, all the stuff we do to try, it, honestly, it's the power of God for salvation. So it needs to be told to the world, but can I say it also needs to be taught to the church. And why I say that is because it's more than just a message for the world. It's actually an understanding for us. Paul writes, it says, Philippians chapter 1, it's the standard for Christian living. He says, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Imagine if we preach the gospel as a, not to the world, but to each other, and we understand it's a lifestyle, how we would sort our issues out. I wouldn't have an issue with anyone if I understood the gospel. It's the power of God. And because it's the regulator for our relationships. In other words, the gospel that brings us together. Therefore, I can walk with anyone and everyone. 
Because we all need it. But when we lose that revelation, we fight with each other and we split and the church splits and we leave the church, we get offended. All the stuff that is normal. But if we've got a bigger picture of the gospel, dear friends, we get to work our stuff out. Not because we need good friendship, because we understand the gospel is the regulator for right relationships. Next point, please. Nearly done. Two more. You good? Gospel is in the context of what? The kingdom. I've got to be careful because I can't stay on this one, but this is a big deal. Let me just tell you quickly this. The gospel is not about making bad people good. Please don't shrink it down to that nonsense. It's more about taking dead people and making them alive. Because there are some good people that are dead. And I look around this great country and they're not all bad people. There's some good people doing some good stuff. But they're dead. And the gospel takes dead people and makes them alive. Of which you and I in this room are those people. So it's not, only go preach to the bad people. Go preach to dead people are everywhere. Maybe even in this room. Gospel. Yeah? But the gospel has a context. It's called the kingdom. If you read through Scripture, most of the time Jesus preached, it preached the gospel of the kingdom. Paul preached the gospel of the kingdom. Not just a gospel, not just a message. It's linked to something called the kingdom. How many of you have heard about the kingdom? And this is a whole series we can do. A few points about the kingdom and then I'm landing with the most important point of it all. Let me tell you about the kingdom. I believe the kingdom is in the church and I believe the church is in the kingdom. But I don't believe the church is the kingdom. And there are many great preachers who will preach the church as the kingdom. And I love their hearts. But if the church is the kingdom, then as much as I love Mark, what that means is then Mark is the king. And that's why most churches are presenting their leaders as the heroes rather than Jesus as the hero. Are you there? We are matter. We care. We matter. The church is glorious. Jesus is coming back for His church. But the church is not the kingdom. Why do I know that? Because I've seen the church split in 47 years thousands of times. I've seen it fall away and fall apart. Who hasn't? The reason it is, why? Because the Bible says the kingdom cannot be shaken. But how many of you know the church gets shaken? Why is that? Because it's not the kingdom. But the church is in the kingdom, according to Matthew 16. And the kingdom is in the church. And I want to suggest we, the church, are the agents through which His kingdom comes. We're the vehicle that brings His kingdom here on earth. We the church, not the preachers, all individuals in this room who are part of the church. You and I are entrusted by Him to bring His kingdom and advance His kingdom, administrate the kingdom of God here on earth. Isn't that phenomenal? You know what the kingdom is? Simply, it's this. It's a whole lot more, but it's simply this. The rule and reign of God. Wherever wherever God rules and reigns, the kingdom of God comes. So if Mark's sick this morning and I pray for him and he gets healed, the kingdom rules and breaks into his life and brings healing. That's the kingdom that's come. If people are not saved yet this morning, we ask here and they respond, they lay down and surrender their lives to Jesus. Right there, it's the kingdom, the rule and reign of God comes in their life, kingdom now. So I want to suggest the kingdom is not going to happen one day when Jesus returns. This kingdom now, Jesus came and brought heaven to earth, kingdom here. And yes, one day fully. 
But we've got to believe for advancing. So my point to us this morning, we've been entrusted by Him to advance the kingdom, His kingdom, His rule and reign wherever we go. And the danger is you can't give what you haven't got. Meaning, if He's not ruling and reigning in your life, how do you give that to someone else? See, the thing about the kingdom, it's only in the kingdom when you raise the white flag in surrender. Everywhere else, when you raise the white flag in surrender, it's called defeat. But when you raise the white flag in surrender in the kingdom, it's called victory. Because you cannot find victory in the kingdom without coming to a place of surrender. And it's not a one-off. It's a daily, daily thing. Is that good? All right, last point. The most important. And you might notice it's not a chair. It's the biggest thing we could find. Please. The context of the kingdom. Can you put it here, please? Is in a context. Wow. Of the king. Are you hearing that, friends? I know a lot of people who like to talk about the kingdom, but kingdom is made up of two things. Subjects and a king. And most kingdoms don't revolve around subjects. They revolve around the king. So I want to suggest that when God looks at our lives, and we started this morning by our revelation of Christ, is the thing that determines everything. I believe that God looks at our life in the context of the local church. The local church in the context of the Great Commission. The Great Commission in the context of the Gospel. The Gospel in the context of the Kingdom. And the Kingdom is in the context of the King. Meaning that we take everything we are and say, how do we fit into this? We take everything that this church will ever be and we keep fitting in, not highlighting one above the other, understanding this. This is not categories to find your life. This is somehow of God positioning us in understanding how we are purposed to live in the big plans that God has. As individuals, your life matters, but so does the local church. Local church, great commission, great commission, gospel, gospel, kingdom, kingdom, king. That's why our view of Jesus determines everything. So I want to land with saying it like this. Can I pick this up? Maybe, first and foremost, when God looks... Actually, when God looks... Can I come down here? Is that all right? God looks at our lives. Our lives are in a context of a king. It's not just about all these other things. The context of our lives is actually in the context of the king. Can you imagine if I have revelation of Jesus the king and I live with that lordship revelation where he's guiding me where He's governing and where I'm seeking His glory. Imagine what kind of husband I'd be to my wife if I understand my life in the context of a king. I'd be a far better husband. I'd be a far better father to the three sons I've been entrusted in if I understand. I'd be a way better friend if I get this revelation of king. I'd live in a submitted... Friend, God sees our lives in the context of a king. Well, then can I suggest God sees Impact Rocked. This local church, Impact Rock, in the context of the King. 
So no longer what do we want? What do you feel like doing? What do the people want? What do the sheep want? What does the king want? Are you there? Uh, not too many amens. Yeah. That's the future. Honestly, you're going to become another church doing your thing. Or you're going to contend for the revelation of what does the king want? And I'm not negating the other churches. I'm just talking to this church. It's not good ideas. It's not what's working in Seoul, Korea and other countries. It's what has the king called us to? Leading this church. Living in this understanding of the context of our king. Imagine when we fear the king how good we lead people. We understand the need and we invest and we call it and we speak truth because we bow to a king. We don't promote our ministry. We promote our king. What about a great commission? I believe the Great Commission is also in the context of the King. My goodness, friends. I've finished, but here we go. The Gospel is in the context of the King. And guess what? The Kingdom is in the context of the King. In other words, it all revolves around Jesus. Let's close our eyes, please. Yeah, this is not cliche. I know it can become cliche because, uh, yeah, we know it all revolves around Jesus. Honestly, friends, does it really? Our revelation of Jesus, our diminished view, how we see Jesus determines how we see our lives. How we see Jesus determines how we see the local church. How we see Jesus determines how we see the Great Commission. How we see Jesus determines how we see the Gospel. How we see Jesus determines how we see His Kingdom. How we see Jesus matters most. And not just today, every day. 